Then they arrived at the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. As he stepped out on land, a man of the city who had demons met him. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he did not live in a house but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him and shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many times it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the wilds. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? He said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. They begged him not to order them to go back into the abyss. Now there on the hillside a large herd of swine was feeding, and the demons begged Jesus to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When the swine herd saw what had happened, they ran off and told it in the city and in the country, and then people came out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told them how the one who had been possessed by demons had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. So he went away, proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. Oh God, this is a strange story from beginning to end. And you know, so often I tell us that when we're reading the Bible, it ought to raise more questions for us than it gives us clear answers. That Jesus is always speaking in parables and stories because what, they, what they're intended to do is to make us think more deeply. Because it is in the thinking and the reflecting and the wondering that we actually grow in our faith and in our spiritual life. You know, um, the spiritual writer Brian McLaren says that in fact, doubt and questions are the doorway to a deeper faith. Certainty isn't the doorway to the deeper faith, but questions and going deeper into the mystery of God is the way of faith. So this story is the perfect example of being, uh, of needing to ask questions and not having nice 
need answers. You know, the best way that we can begin to see what's going on in this story is to look at the people in the story, to look at the characters and see what is happening. And so, of course, you have to begin with this man who is only known as the demoniac. Now, I wonder how many people here today, including myself, hear that and wonder, Gosh, was he really demon-possessed? Anybody wonder if, if the man really had demons? Or do you just assume, oh yeah, he had demons? You do? Because here's my thing. 2,000 years ago, they didn't know about epilepsy. 2,000 years ago, they didn't know about mental uh, illnesses. 2,000 years ago, they didn't have DNA testing, and they didn't have all these things we know today that might have suggested that this man, in fact, has a mental or physical illness that is creating his behavior. We, 2,000 years later, if we see someone like that, I hope to to God that we would take them to the doctor. But 2,000 years ago, they didn't have an explanation for odd behavior, and so all they could do was say, demon-possessed. I wonder if it really was demon possession. Maybe it was, but yet today we know there were a lot of other things that could be the explanation. They didn't know what acne was, and they said it was unclean. You know, 2,000 years ago, if something uh, was odd in someone, it was sin or it was demon possession because they just didn't know better. To me, we have minds to ask those questions. What was really going on with this man? And let's add to whatever is happening to him, demons or not, of course the people are afraid of him. Anytime you see behavior that's not normal or anytime you see someone uh, that makes you afraid, what will you do? You will isolate them. This man is not going to be allowed to be anywhere near the community. And human beings, people of God, are social animals. We only do well when we are in real community, when we can see people eye to eye, when we can touch people. Did you know that in the first three or four months of a baby's life, if they're not held and touched, they will have trauma within them for the rest of their lives? Because human beings are social animals. I worry about our kids today who think that being in community is going online into a game room and you know uh, X-Man 345 because you play the game with him all the time. You've never seen him in real life. Human beings are meant to be in community. And so it's very clear that this man is not treated like a human being. He's treated like an animal. He's chained. He breaks free from the chains, but you know that the treatment from this community is going to make whatever's going on with him worse. And that's what we do when we're afraid of someone who's different. Parker was saying that this morning. I mean, think of uh, the stories of a white woman who gets on an elevator and then a black man gets on, and because in her mind she's got these categories already set up, she clutches her purse because black men are dangerous and he just might be the CEO of the company. 
right? This is what we do. We get afraid of people who are different than our experience and what we know, and then they become isolated. And often uh, with a guy like this, whatever's wrong with him is going to be worse. But here's the second thing that's so interesting about this story, and I'll bet every one of you missed it. When Jesus says to this demoniac, this man, what's your name? He says, legion, for we are many. Now, legion is a very interesting term for him to use. Why? Because it's Roman, it's Latin, it's not Greek, it's not Hebrew, it's not Aramaic. It's, it's a Roman word, and a legion is the largest grouping of the Roman military, like 5,000 people. And there's this suggestion that maybe what Luke is trying to do is tell a story about the Roman occupiers without being able to say it outright because it would probably get him killed, to say that the Romans are demonic. But this guy, Jesus, is going to cast them out and restore Israel to greatness. That is the Messiah, to cast out and restore the military and the political power of Israel. So maybe when he says legion, Luke is trying to say, ha ha, the Romans are demonic, but Jesus is going to save us from them. And in fact, think about this, when, when the demons go down and, and the pigs drown in the river, there are echoes of the Red Sea. The last time they were in captivity, they were chased, and what happened? The captors, the Egyptians, were drowned. So maybe what's going on here is it's not supposed to be so literal. Maybe it's about the Roman powers that all of Israel once gone. Maybe the ancient people would have heard that and gone, ah, mm-hmm. You and I are like, oh, demon. So there's all these questions that we have about this man. And, and guess what? There really is no clear answer to those questions. So it makes us say, okay, well, let's take a look at Jesus. And friends, I have to tell you, this is a Jesus story. I don't like Jesus very much in this story. <gasps> Can I say that? Two reasons. First of all, why in God's name would Jesus do what the demons ask him to do? Think about it. They say, okay, look, don't send us to Sheol, but let us go into those pigs. And Jesus is like, sure, go right ahead. Why would he listen to the demons? Now, if they're the Romans, really, then it's that thing of giving to Caesar what is Caesar's, you know, maybe. But I don't like the fact that Jesus it does what the demons ask him to do. Something wrong with that. But the other thing about Jesus in this story is, why would he want those pigs to die? I'm, Kendall's like, you're wearing pink today for the pigs. Yes, I'm pro-pigs! They shouldn't have to die! Jesus, what is going on there? Now, 
Sometimes people will jump really quickly to Jesus' defense and say either, well, Jesus didn't actually kill the pigs, the demons did. I'm not buying it because he's the one who said go in the pigs. Yeah, I can't take away Jesus' role in this. And then sometimes people are like, well, you know, pigs were unclean animals. Nobody liked pigs anyway, so it's just fine. I'm like, no, it's not fine. God created them, and isn't Jesus the one who said, it's not what goes in your mouth, it's what comes out. Jesus is not about those, you can't touch this thing. God made the pigs. So I look at Jesus and I'm like, Jesus, who are you in this story? I don't get what's going on with Jesus. But you know, here's the thing. If you were an ancient person hearing this story, first of all, you would probably recognize that the geography of this story isn't quite, doesn't quite make sense. If he's in Gerasene, he's not really right by the sea, and yet they place him by the sea. So something, even if he's in Gadara, which is a city in Gerasene, he's still not right by the sea. There's a gap, there's a distance there. So, you know, if I'm an ancient person, I'm not taking this literally, because how are the pigs going to run down the hill three miles? miles into the sea and everybody's going to see it. It doesn't make clear sense. And here's the other thing. How many of you know this? Pigs can swim. Did any of you know that pigs can swim? Google it. I googled it. I went, pigs swim? I googled it. And Google actually says pigs are excellent swimmers. Now, an ancient person probably knows a pig can swim. They're going down to the sea, and then they're going to have their little snouts up paddling around. So how do they drown if they're excellent swimmers? You see, there are literal things. If we're not paying attention, we're going to think, oh, they drown. But then pigs can swim. So again, I have questions about this story. Which brings me then to looking at the people of Gerasene. And I kind of think the point of this story is for us not to, you know, stand at a distance and go, gee, we believe in Jesus, what's wrong with you? But to say, hmm, maybe we are actually a little bit like these people of Gerasene. And what does that mean for following and believing in and trusting Jesus. You see, these people, when they have seen Jesus do this healing miracle and the, the swine herds run off to the city and tell people and people come back, they're angry and they're afraid. They come back angry and afraid. They are upset about the loss of their pigs and their income. They could care less that this man is sitting there healed, whole, and in his right mind. It's almost as if the text is saying, you care more about your pigs than you care about this man. It makes no difference to you that he's been healed. He's like he doesn't even exist. And you know, people of God, so often, we ourselves, when healing happens, things don't change. 
Our attitude in that situation doesn't change. Listen, counselors and therapists tell us that if you have a really like dysfunctional family system and one of the people gets themselves healthy and it doesn't want to do that anymore, you know what's going to happen? The dysfunction's going to get worse and they're going to try and pull that person right back into the same way of living. It tells us, you know, that sometimes someone who has, say, had cancer for five years and everything they've done and everything that they have lived has been about getting healed and then they're declared in remission cancer-free and they don't change how they're living because they're so used to living in this way that cancer is dominating them. And all of this has a way of saying to us, listen to this, Jesus can heal us physically. Jesus can heal us mentally, spiritually. But Jesus can't heal the relationships without our participation. Those relationships between that man and the Gerasenes are not healed because the Gerasenes still don't want him. And in fact, he goes to Jesus and says, please let me go with you. And Jesus says, no, you need to stay and bear witness and build relationship and, and try and be restored to that community. Look at any healing story of Jesus. He can heal the person, but he doesn't heal the relationships without us. That is a powerful message for followers of Jesus. Are we living in a way that is creating new relationships, that is allowing us to be friends with the stranger and the orphan and the widow? You know, how many times does someone's past continue to define them even when they're living differently? How many times is it like, oh, he was in prison for 10 years and you never get beyond that, even though he may be healed and whole? We have to take the step to restore relationship. Why do you think Jesus talks about forgiveness so much? because we have to be part of that healing process. You know, when I was in Albuquerque end of last month, and we were at this spiritual conference where, you know, we're talking about God's love and how we ought to be living in the world and the things we ought to be doing. And then in the evening, eight or nine of us walked into Old Town to eat at a restaurant. And we sat down around this big table and we immediately noticed that the waitress was, well, cranky, stressed. She'd be like, what do you want to drink? Here's your iced tea. You know, it, it, it was very clear that she was not in a good place. And we were talking about that. And then Heidi, bless her heart, says, well, maybe we should just be sending her love. And, it, you know, not when the woman was at the table, but when she was across the room, Heidi started going, I love you. 
love, love, love. And so about four of us started going, we love you. God's love, 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 love. And she'd come to the table and we'd stop. She'd walk away and we'd go, love, 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 love. Well, wouldn't you know it, about five minutes later, the lady started laughing and came to the table and started chitting, chatting with us about what was going on in the restaurant. And somehow she was completely changed. Now, listen, I don't want to say that there was some mysterious spiritual thing happening. Maybe there was, but again, it's a question that I will ask and I don't have an answer for. But what I will tell you is that we started being different that we were smiling, that we weren't reciprocating the crankiness. We were sitting there showering, flowing out with smiles and love and compassion and kindness. And there's something that may just be contagious about that. I mean, you know, maybe you're at the stoplight and someone just cut you off and instead of at that person, you start going, I love you, God loves you, I love you, God loves you. Maybe that person who irritates you at work instead of being like, hey, oh, that person, I love you, God loves you, I love you, God loves you. I don't know, but I tell you something, it may not make any change in them, but I guarantee it will make a change in us. And I think in following Jesus, when we are coming out of this sense of love and compassion that is Jesus, even when we have questions, even when we don't have the answers, even if we don't know someone is changed, we are making a difference in the world. And we are part of the healing of relationships that is our work to do. So listen, people of God, I don't really know what this story is about, but the more I think about it and ask questions, the more I see it's saying something about me and how we are called to live in light of Jesus. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.